following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. I ask you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. Welcome this evening if you're online watching uh, either live, uh, 25 seconds behind actually live just because of how the computer delay works or if you're watching afterwards we welcome you we in our series in the gospel of matthew have reached chapter eight we finished the sermon on the mount i want to remind you though of an outline of the big picture of the gospel of matthew in terms of the major events that it covers so that we get our orientation uh, to where we've been you remember in matthew chapter one and two the scripture talks about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ and mentions very pointedly the fact that he is in the line of the kings. He is uh, from Abraham and from David and, uh, and so on. And so we uh, see that. And then in chapter 3, we see the ministry of John the Baptist. And what does he call for? He calls for repentance calls for the people to turn away from their sin and to turn to God. And, and he does demand that they do works befitting repentance. And we understand the finer theological points of that, but the reality is that when it comes down to it, uh, real Christianity is that you repent and you do change, your life changes. And from the human perspective, that's what it is. I think sometimes we get all confused about well, if I, I don't have to do good works to be saved. Well, yes, but if you look at it merely from the human perspective, what happens to a person when they become born again? They repent, they exercise faith in the Lord, and their life is changed. Okay, From God's perspective, yes, we know there's more going on. He's planned it from the beginning of the world, the lamb slain from the foundation, He's set you in your particular set of circumstances from his perspective. He has brought all the different things in your life, all the different people. You know, your friend who came along and said something to you that got you like that or somebody else who you know, brought something that convicted you. And God arranged all of that. And then he turned the light bulb, you know, pulled that string and the light bulb went on in your mind and you're like, oh, I've got to believe in the Lord. He did all of that. And then, you know, he transforms you, regenerates you, gives you new life, and, and then changes your works. But from the human perspective, we don't see all of that. That's God's invisible work. It's made visible when somebody repents, turns to Christ, believes in the gospel, and is transformed. And so that's why John can say that with all authority, no man uh, contradicting him. That's what salvation looks like. And so he called for for that, and his job was to prepare the way of the Lord. He was like a herald preparing the way for the great king who is coming. And then in chapter, uh, end of chapter 3, we see that Jesus himself was baptized to connect himself to the ministry of John. Not that Jesus needed repentance, but he was associating himself with the repentant people because that's where his association lies with them. And uh, then he was tempted. Matthew chapter 4, uh, to be tested to see if he was, uh, you know, to prove that he was who he, he claimed to be and to show us uh, of his perfection, even under the most uh, withering of temptations. 
Um, and then it says in chapter 4 that he began to preach the gospel as well. And he preached the exact same message that John the Baptist preached. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he called some disciples and went about preaching in the cities of Galilee, around Nazareth and other places, and preached the word. And he was healing people also who were sick. And then it says in chapter 5 that he sat down on an elevated place with his disciples and crowds around, and he preached the Sermon on the Mount, which we've just looked at. His opening, um, we could say, um, you know, opening sermon, uh, opening salvo against the sinners of the nation of Israel and the leaders too, because he said, look, you've heard them say, but I'm telling you. You've heard them say, but I'm telling you. And the people marveled at the end of the sermon because they said, this guy is different. There's something about him. He's teaching with great authority, not as the scribes and the Pharisees who came before him. Chapter 8 then records the healing of a number of ill people, a leper, a centurion servant, Peter's mother-in-law, somebody who is demon-possessed, and I'll just throw that into the general category of healing, even though it's a little different than healing. Various illnesses, he calmed a storm, in, uh, in chapter uh, 8, was it chapter 8? Yes, that is, verse 23. He also uh, forgives, a well, actually heals two demon-possessed men, forgives a man who is paralyzed, and just for good measure heals him as well. Uh, so interesting, these things. But he's, he does all of that and uh, casts those demons into the swine. Um, but... All these events gathered a large following after him. Can you imagine somebody going around doing these kinds of things today? There would be, you know, uh, 10 million followers on Facebook and Twitter, you know. I mean, it would be crazy. Uh, in the modern vernacular, that's how it would be. Well, these people followed, they were actual followers uh, in the sense that they were following the Lord around, you know. Uh, we know there were followers who weren't really Disciples weren't really true Christians, but they were hangers-on, as it were. Uh, but true discipleship required more than following because of sensationalism or novelty. Wow, this guy's doing something new and different, or it's fantastic what he's doing. It's amazing. And uh, they wanted you know, to see more of that or have it applied to them. And so if you look uh, in, uh, let's see, in chapter 8, verse 18... The Lord knows the heart of men and that there are many people, you know, tagging along just because of these sensational things that it seems that he's doing. And they weren't sensational from his perspective. They were things that served a purpose. We'll mention perhaps in a moment a little bit more about that. But uh, he didn't encourage people to follow him for those reasons. If you look, it says uh, he... A scribe came to him, verse 19, and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And what did Jesus say? You know, we say, oh, great, come along, join us. You know, we always could use one more. He says, no, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. This is not an easy path that you're choosing, my friend, he says, and almost in a way discourages him. You know, you have to count the cost before you come along. And then verse 20 one, then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. So not only counting the cost of being in, 
discipleship, but the cost of leaving behind what you you know, want to. He wants to stay behind and wait until his dad croaks, which could be some time off, and so he can bury him and, and do all the family functions and all that and then go and follow the Lord. Well, the thing is, you're never going to actually get there because there will always be one more event that has to happen before you can you know, go and, and dedicate yourself to the Lord. So just go do that, and when your father passes, why just, if you can, come back and take care of that and then go back out to the field of mission work. So uh, he describes, Jesus does, the difficulties associated with following him in chapter uh, 8 there, verses 18 to 22. We'll look at that in more detail. And then chapter 9, we see, continues with the forgiving the sins of this uh, man who is paralyzed. He calls more disciples um, and he's ministering to uh, <laughs> sinners. You notice that? They were like, why do you go eat with tax collectors and sinners? Well, I mean, where do you expect me to minister? You know, What kind of people do you want me to go find? All the righteous one, ones? And he heals a, number of, a couple of blind man, a men, and he uh, causes a, a man who is mute to be able to speak. He was also demon-possessed. And so these... these you know, there's weather phenomena um, and all kinds of things. Divine power over common and rare diseases, uh, power over the realm of the demons. These are all manifestations of the infinite power of Christ that even included raising the dead, which we'll see as well. And he himself was a partaker within not too many years, <clears throat> hence from these uh, records here, of, of that himself. And I just want to mention two things about these miracles before I look at a couple of the specific cases. One is, Jesus does have this power. Not only does he have all authority in heaven and on earth, but he has all this power. He can do all of these things. Now, I'm not saying that he's going to heal Kelly of her cancer that she has, for whom we prayed, or that he's going to heal Tabitha of her hypoplastic left heart syndrome that she's had for 25 years or something. I don't know how long it is now. She's, she's made it to quite an age for somebody with that heart condition. But um, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that if he has the power to do these things and he has the power in chapter 9 to forgive sins, what does he have the power to do in you? What does he have the power to do in you? He has infinite power. He can help you with your struggles, your problems, your temptations, your health issues, your spouse, uh, you know, the people who uh, don't do right by you uh, in your job. He has power to do all of that and uh, beyond beyond all that we can ask or think. So keep that in mind. He has this kind of power. And secondly, the miracles were far more than interesting displays of God's might. They were serving to elicit faith, to strengthen and to uh, reward faith, and even more so to authenticate Jesus' ministry as a divine messenger. Somebody who has words like in chapters 5 to 7, that's nice to have words, but you better have something to back it up. You know, if you say, they say, 
all those Pharisees, but I say to you, well, how do we know you're from God? And the standard that God applied in the Old Testament applies here. There, if there's a prophet who claimed these things, then uh, you know, he needed to be a true prophet, make true prophecies, make, you know, show, demonstrate the kind of power that God has, and so on. And so these are the purposes of his, of his works, uh, primarily to authenticate himself as a divine teacher. But we see here his connection to the faith of the people and uh, to strengthen and reward that faith. And so we begin in chapter 8, where the scripture says, when he had come down from the mountain, that is from his preaching, great multitudes followed him. So his following was just getting larger and larger. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are, are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. The man showed desire, and he showed faith for cleansing. Desire and faith. He wanted it, and he had belief that the Lord could do it. He did, he did uh, by the way, he wanted to be, does it, what does it say here? Do you want, did he say, I want to be healed? This is a little detail, but I kind of is interested in it. I want to be clean. Now, in Old Testament Israel, what did it mean to be clean? You know, it didn't mean that you had your antibacterial hand soap and you rinsed your hands off and had nice, clean hands. Cleanliness was, uh, cleanliness was next to godliness, actually. Not the kind of cleanliness you're thinking of in that phrase. This is ceremonial cleanliness. This is not having sin attached to you. Um, this is being clean before God. And lepers were considered unclean, uh, and so he wanted cleansing, but he wanted healing to, to be cleansed. But for him, this cleansing and this healing was more than just to be well physically. I mean, you can live for quite a long time with leprosy. You can live quite a long time with Hansen's disease or any of the other variations of that. And if you have some time, maybe a you know, sometime you might look up Hansen's disease and see about lepers and leper colonies and all these things that were uh, were present. And, and and this time, you know, the people were outcasts. They they he wanted to get back into society. You know, talk about being isolated with COVID. You know, he wanted to be unisolated after perhaps years of being away from humanity. To be permanently unclean was to be basically unhuman. I mean, you were in the lowest caste of castes. It was bad. To be cleansed was to be brought back to life, in essence. You're brought back into society. You could see your family again. You could see your friends. You could be with people. You could go to the synagogue. You could go to the temple to worship God. I want to be clean, God. And so he asked to be cleansed. So he had the desire. But notice he also had faith because he says, if you will, which was uncertain at the moment, but what was not uncertain to him was, you can make me clean. You, what it is is the word to be able. 
I was actually looking at some of these words uh, recently. There are several phrases in the Bible that talk about the state of the natural person, the unsaved person, before they're saved. They are unable to understand the things of God. They are unable to hear the words of Christ with an understanding heart. They are unable to be subject to the law of God. Three key phrases that talk about inability that we have until God pulls the chain on the light bulb, opens up our eyes, and gives us illumination, as I understand it. Some people call that the act of regeneration. But whatever, God has to do something. He has to enlighten us. And this fellow was, not, was saying, using that same word, he was. He was saying, God is, Christ is able to do this cleansing. Now, that's a tremendous statement. Um, wasn't there a case in the Old Testament of some man who was a leper who sent a message to a king and said, heal me of my leprosy? Naaman. And the king was like, oh, no, this guy's trying to pick a fight. He thinks I can heal his leprosy? Impossible. You know, I only wish that some of our folks like Christy who are afflicted with this or John with the difficulties he's had could go up to somebody and say, Mike, heal me. I know you can do it. Just do it. If you want to, you can. Wouldn't that be tremendous? (laughs) This guy knows that Jesus can do it. You can heal me if you want, if you can cleanse me if you want to. And what a faith, what, a, what an expression of faith. Now, how did he know this? The leper knew that Jesus was powerful enough to fix his problem, but he must have known from what happened earlier in chapter 4, at the end of, uh, toward the end of chapter 4, in verses 23. Through 25, Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases among the people. Even before the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was preaching and teaching and also healing as he went, and the people were very glad for that. He was bearing their uh, infirmities and uh, all of the problems that they had. Actually, I'm getting ahead of myself in the Gospel of Matthew, but... That's what was happening. Now, I'm not going to suggest Jesus will heal your physical afflictions right now because the Lord is not here, nor is there any other miracle worker who is present to heal. The Lord did these miracles to authenticate his teaching to show that he is indeed the Son of God with power. That is no longer necessary. That is to show that he's the Son of God with power because we all know that and we have the testimony of the Bible to that effect. So these miracles no longer happen in this age. But if you want to be healed of whatever afflicts you, some torment, some worry, some sin, some addiction, etc., do you really want that? And do you know that he can do that? Do you want it? Do you desire it? And do you have the faith like this man had when he said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He asked him to be healed. He knew he could be healed by the Lord. And Do you have faith that God can fix your problems? You know, you can't do it yourself. I mean, try to take the, uh, I'll change the wording a little bit. Who, who can change the leper's spots? The text in actually in Jeremiah 13 says, who can change the leopard's spots? 
But who can change the leper's spots? Only the Lord can heal in this way. Jesus was willing to heal the man and cleanse him, and he did, away, he did so straight away. This was no sleight of hand. This was no medical mission. This was a miracle. A miracle. God intervened in an unusual way against the bacteria. If that's what it is, Hansen's disease is a bacteria, I think, isn't it? I remember right. He didn't use an eight-week course of antibiotics and stuff like that. (laughs) And, you know, this man may have, if he had this for a long time, many of them had uh, physical issues, digits missing, had been injured, uh, have fallen off, have been chewed off by mice or rats, uh, all kinds of things because their nervous system did not work properly. They couldn't feel pain. And so I assume that that was all healed if he had any of that as well, like that. He was willing to heal, and he healed him. The bacteria were gone. The deformities were gone. The spots on the skin were gone. The the damage to the flesh and the nerves was repaired, and the man was healed instantaneously, instantaneously. That's the kind of power that Jesus has. You know, somebody might scoff and say, what, what do you mean, Jesus? I spoke on Saturday about the resurrection. Every person is going to be raised. And I say, you know, you look around the whole cemetery, thousands of gravestones, and probably, I don't know, dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of crypts, you know, above ground, you know, where they slide the, the, the uh, uh, coffin inside of the you know, box and then put the granite cover over the front of it, put the name on it, maybe put a holder for flowers or a light or something like that. All of those are going to be busted open and the souls are going to be rejoined to the bodies that are housed in those graves. I mean, this is nothing for Christ. He created the whole world. So to to resurrect a few million, billion people, eh, you know, Another day at the office for him, no problem. And uh, it's a marvelous thing. Now, he gave the man two instructions, post-op instructions, okay? Go home. <laughs> yeah, but I, did, I shouldn't have said that because it wasn't post-op. It was post-miracle instructions. There was no op. There was no operation, right? So he said, first of all, keep your mouth shut, I don't know if the Lord would say it that way, but basically, you know, zip it, button it, throw away the key. But Mark 145 records that the man didn't do that. The man went around and blabbed all over town that he had been healed. And uh, what happened? Well, the scripture tells us that this led to Jesus being hindered in his ministry in urban areas because now... The mobs were just that, mobs. I mean, it was insanity when he would go into a town. And so the crowds were too big and unwieldy to be able to minister effectively. That's why Jesus told him to keep his mouth quiet so that he would not be mobbed with people wanting more sensational healings and, 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 and more fishes and loaves instead of mobbing him for his teaching. Can you imagine if they were saying, Jesus, teach us, teach us, teach us. No, they were like, heal us, heal us, heal us. Give us fish and loaves, welfare, free food. Jesus knew human nature. Human nature being what it is, we should not be surprised that people wanted those things. And we should not be surprised that the leper disobeyed because we know human nature, right? 
we can be sympathetic. Obviously, he was very enthusiastic about being healed. We can understand that. But as enthusiastic as you might be, you have to obey the Lord. Probably years long in the state of affliction was totally debilitating, probably left him as a beggar, an outcast in society, but now he could live again. He was excited. Would to God that we would be so excited for what God has healed us from. And he's told us to tell others. But knowing human nature, when God tells you to not say something, you will say something. And when he tells you to say something, you won't say something. Oh, hand to forehead, okay? Yeah, this is how we are. Always backwards. Then he told him, besides being quiet, go and to, to the priests and offer what Moses told you to offer them, okay? So in Leviticus 14, really the whole chapter, I, we certainly don't have time tonight to look at that, but the whole chapter in Leviticus 14, basically from verses 1 to 32, there's a little bit more after that at the end of the chapter, but it tells what to do if you're a leper who's been cleansed. You go and you take two birds, and the priest does ritual with the birds and the blood and kills one and the other one and uh, handles the other one. And, and uh, you know, Jesus tells him to go do all that. So your homework is to look at Leviticus 14 and see what that man was to do. But Jesus told him, you go obey the law of Moses. Now, to some of us, we'd probably be thrown by that because we say, oh, what's Jesus doing telling him to go obey the law of Moses? We don't have to obey the law of Moses, do we? Uh, no, we do not because we're not under that regime. We, under, we obey the law of Christ, though, for sure. The purpose of doing this was, well, first of all, they were under the law of Moses. The man who was healed and Jesus were two men. Now, Jesus is a very special man, of course, but two men, two humans, and those humans were living in Israel under the law of God, the law of Moses, and they had to obey it. So Jesus did. He went to the temple every year for the, sac or the feasts, right? All of that stuff he did, just like he was supposed to do a faithful Jew perfectly all the time. And, of course, he never had to offer sacrifices for his own sins because he didn't have any. That was the only time that ever happened in world history or Israelite history. But the man went to not only obey the law of Moses, but what does it say in verse 4? Offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. As a testimony to them. Show them what God has done for you. Now, because Jesus told him, uh, tell no one, I have to, to err on the side of caution and say, I, think, I don't think the man was allowed to go to the priests and tell him, Jesus did it, Jesus did it. I think he had to just leave it sort of generic and say, look what God has done for me and uh, so that he wouldn't be in violation of what the Lord told him. Now, he did violate what the Lord told him, so who knows what he actually did. But this was to be a testimony to the work of God generally, not Christ specifically, in the life of the leper. We've come to 8 o'clock already, my friends. I can't believe it's already 25, 30 minutes, and uh, we've just gotten into this uh, here. But I intended to go on to the centurion's servant in 5 to 13, but I'll gladly hold that until next time and remind ourselves, look at the desire the man had to be healed. Look at the faith that he had to be healed. Look at the Lord's ability to heal and apply that to yourself, that Christ can do all of that and more for you in your particular situation. Remember that the Lord doesn't tell us to keep mum. 
the Lord tells us to tell others, to open our mouths for the sake of the gospel. So it's the reverse of these instructions. Let's make sure that we don't disobey like the man here did in that particular case. And uh, may the Lord bless us with that understanding and and, uh, gratitude for what we see here in the Lord's work in this uh, situation. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you will uh, bless and keep us, that we would understand these words, not just for the value of the miracle, that it's, it's amazing what happened, but for the meaning attached to it, behind it, underneath it, for the uh, ideas of power that Christ had, the authentication that this was giving to his person and work, the desire and faith that the leper had to be healed. And Lord, I pray indeed that that man had faith beyond the faith to be healed, but the faith to be saved, and I trust that he is is and has been for a long while now in heaven. Um, Lord, we do pray that, and for many as well. Easy for us to say the Lord theoretically has power to help us, but it's a different thing to practically rely upon that, and I pray that you would help us in that regard. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm going to bid you all a good night. Mark my notes for the next time so we can pick up there where we left off. And uh, thank you for coming. God bless you. Thank you for participating online tonight. Glad you could do that. And uh, we'll see you again another time. All right, good evening.